Welcome to the IPDO Show. I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo. And joining me today are Christine Karen and Dean Laponte. Christine is an Ottawa mom who lost both her legs, an arm, and some fingers due to sepsis caused by a dog bite. She's an advocate for sepsis survivors and their family, and the patient member with the Canadian Sepsis Foundation. Dean is a former military lineman who lost both legs and all fingers on one hand because of sepsis as well. And he is back to making music as a drummer, a passion of his since he was a young teenager. I'll start with you, Christine. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thank you. Can, can you tell us what happened at first? Like, how were you diagnosed and what can you share about your fight with getting sepsis? Okay, well, myself, I had been sick for a, a few months. I had been, I thought I was uh, battling allergies. I had um, a bronchitis and then... Um, I just wasn't myself for months and I was playing outside with my dogs when one just nipped my left hand and um, six days later uh, I passed out entering ICU, uh, entering the emergency room and I woke up a month later from that uh, being told I'd been in septic shock uh, and that I needed to have all of my limbs amputated. Uh, by the grace of God, I, they found circulation in my right hand, uh, which gave me that little glimmer of hope I needed to, to continue because I was very, very active prior. I was running, I'm a gardener, single parent. I was always on the go. Uh, the thought of losing all of my limbs was just, um, um, you, you can't even imagine it until somebody says it to you. Um, I'll tell you right now, I was quite suicidal uh, until we found the little bit of circulation in my right hand. Um, it didn't save my hand completely, but offered me a wee bit of a pincher to give me the hope I needed just to carry on. Um, rehab was amazing. Uh, the doctor we have in Ottawa for rehabilitation is, well, the Ottawa Rehab Center is one of uh, our best kept secrets. Um, but one of the big surprises for me and most survivors is that around four to six months post-discharge from hospital, sept, uh, there's something called post-sepsis syndrome that hits between the eyes. And I'll let Dean tell his stories before we talk about that. If you, Yeah, no, of course. That, let's, that's a good segue to Dean's story. Let's, let's hear about how you where you were, what happened, you know, did you have any symptoms of it? Were you still serving in the military when this happened to you or what's, what's sort of your story? No, no. Um, <clears throat> myself and a bunch of other guys had got headhunted by the private sector for telecommunication, fiber optics and whatnot. So I'd been working with a, a private company on the backbone fiber coming through the Ottawa corridor. So I was good that way. Um, I had been to see my doctor two weeks exactly before um, I got sick and went for a physical and I was healthy. So there was no, um, no real symptoms or signs for myself. Um, I had a, a pain in my side that I would get once in a while and my doctor dismissed that. So that's nothing. But it, it, again, it wasn't anything um, serious. So I never really thought about it. So, excuse me, when I started holidays on uh, June 1st, 2013, um, I have a hunting, fishing redneck camp up in the, um, in the boonies in the, the Goulain Reservoir in Quebec. 
And uh, there's a bunch of us that are members of a hunting fishing camp. Sometimes we fly up. One of my buddies has a float plane, and sometimes we drive up. About seven-hour car ride from here. So off we went um, for the camp opener. We got there on the 1st of June, uh, like a Monday. And 1st of June, yeah, we're on the 1st of June. And um, Thursday morning, uh, when I woke up, I had a real bad pain in my side. Um, sweating and, and just not feeling very good. And the day before that, we were closing up one camp and moving to the, the main camp. And we'd been cutting and piling some firewood that's, um, you know, housekeeping. Get ready for the next time we come up so we have some wood to burn, which is um, very common. So we did that. And uh, that was the only thing that I could think of that uh, brought on what was going on. I, I thought I had maybe pulled some muscles. <clears throat> So that Thursday morning, I didn't go fishing with the rest of the guys. I just stayed up in the camp and crashed. Um, and through the course of the day, it started to get worse. Um, Friday morning, I woke up, and I, and I was no better. But I, again, I figured I just pulled a muscle, and it, I was wimping out, and I couldn't go fishing with the guys. When the boys came back for lunch, um, our patriarch of the camp, Chester Grubb, uh, looked at me, took my temperature, and told the boys to load up Dino's stuff, put it in the boat, I'm taking him to the landing, get in the truck, and I'm taking him to the hospital. We drove 10 hours from the camp to the Winchester um, Hospital in my region. And I remember walking, and it was a nasty ride back. You know, I was I was vomiting and drinking lots of water, vomiting. Uh, I walked into the hospital under my own power, Pulled out my um, driver's license, my health card, um, and handed that off to um, the uh, receptionist nurse, and then thundered in like a bag of hammers. And then uh, I woke up, I believe, about six weeks later in the ICU. Um, now, I couldn't talk, I trach, um, I couldn't move, I, I couldn't do anything, but I had a good suspicion that my legs were gone. I don't know, the doctor to this day doesn't know how I knew, but I knew. So they removed both my legs below the knees, so I got two of these babies. And that was done around the 18th of June. And I didn't wake up till sometime in July. And in August, they, uh, my fingers had turned, were turning black. So in August, they removed my fingers and left my little stumpy little flipper hand here. And then uh, I spent some time up there until they, um, we got better, and they moved us over to the rehab uh, department at the Ottawa Hospital, the campus, which is uh, where I met Dr. Dudick. Christine can elaborate on that. I also met Christine and a few other people, and uh, we formed our own little posse, wheelchair races and, you know, things that we did. So that's basically how it happened for me. Um, I spent almost a year in the hospital and then of course uh, three times a week coming back and getting checked out but you know i persevered and carried on uh, obviously i couldn't go back to work as a you know as a fiber optic lineman so that was a bit of a, a downer um, i had hoped to take on a management position and get off the tools because i was ready for that part of my career but it didn't happen so i just made do you know i rock it and keep it real um, I've always played music my whole life, so um, when I lost my hand, my fingers, and in the rehab department, Long and McQuaid uh, Music Store 
donated me a really cool set of uh, Roland V drums, and uh, because they're quiet, they're not like acoustic drums. So the hospital allowed uh, me to move them into a vacant room, and uh, I was trying to get my mojo back. And the engineers from downstairs at the hospital, um, Tony Zambelt and uh, Louis, would come in and watch me and figure out how to design uh, a device to hold a drumstick for me in, in this hand. And uh, I beat up a couple prototypes and destroyed them until they, they got me something that held together. And voila, I'm drumming like a crazy fool. Um, since that release of the hospital in 2014, I've played with um, North Authority, the Sofa Kings, which I'm still playing with uh, right now, and uh, another band called Sled Naked, but we're working on a better, uh, a better name. Uh, I liked Electricity, but boys were... Uh, <laughs> So I, like I play that. twice a week in my own studio. I record uh, with both bands, and because of COVID, we're not really able to play out. So we've been recording like fools. We have like 70-some songs since last um, October, original songs. Um, so, yeah, I keep it real. I still hunt and fish, um, and I work at Canmore Spooky Wagon Ride. I'll pitch that right now for the Halloween um, <laughs> festivities. I look after the tractor fleets, uh, the chase car, um, generators, and, and things that uh, relate to the spooky wagon ride, Acres of Terror. Yeah, I look after my own big house, Ponderosa, out here in the sticks, my dogs, um, and recently a cat. So I keep it real. No, that, That's that basically, sounds good. I mean, uh, you, you do sound like you, you live on a full life, but let's go back to what Christine was saying. Now, Christine, you were in a coma for how long again? Just under a month. Just under a month. And Dean, you were yeah. in for six weeks, correct? Yeah, around six weeks. So yeah. with Christine, did, were you able to make the decision to amputate? Myself, I, I yes. Dean, no. Myself, yes. Right. Yeah. So for you, they came and said, you're going to, we're going to have to amputate these limbs because why was that the re, you know why was that the uh, for myself it's just, it's the same um they told me they had to remove my limbs so that i could live uh my body was working hard Correct. i describe it like a flower you know when you transplant a flower you pop the heads off so that the roots can grow and, and get secure well i guess in the human, you can't pop my head off, but the body still tries to keep the limbs alive. It's working really hard to keep those dead limbs alive. Right. So it's not giving the energy to the um, to the organs and anything else that it needs to. So it's like be a, a never-ending um, output of energy trying to keep the limbs alive. And in my case, I said, well, goodbye. Nice, nice knowing you. I could okay. not fathom living... Uh, with no limbs at all. And now I feel mm -hmm. like a bit of a wimp um, because as you know, I work in support groups mm -hmm. and I have met some incredible quads mm -hmm. uh, who have continued to live their lives, who mm -hmm. are chefs, who are doing all these things with no hands and no feet. Um, honestly, if I hadn't had my right hand saved, I'm not sure what my mental state would have been. I mean, my mm -hmm. right hand doesn't do a hell of a lot. It just, I don't know why. It just, it was the big thing to keep me going. Um, like I said, it offers me a bit of a pincher, but other than that, um, it's severely deformed um, 
but that was a key to keep me going. I just couldn't fathom being a single parent. But again, there are those doing it now. So right. I, everyone, no, everyone, I, I think everyone has their own. Um, and I always say this, everyone has their own way of doing things and everyone has is in their own unique journey about themselves. One is not less than the other. And I, and I hope you see that, that you're not any less at what a quad would be doing just because you still have that pincher as, as you refer to it. So I hope you keep that in mind that what you're doing is exactly what you should be doing for your journey. And Dean, you shared that you woke up without the limbs. Right. That's right. Um, well, I was in, like, I'm from originally from this area. My, uh, my mother's is in this area as well. So when I got sick, um, the hospital got a hold of my mother and basically she assumed power of attorney. So right around the 18th of June, they had some hope prior to that, that my legs would, uh, would clear up because your feet turn black. And, and like Christine said, the blood thinners and other things that they give you in the hospital to keep you alive, uh, anything, the furthest things out suffer like your hands, your toes. And so they asked my mother's basically gave her the ultimatum and said, um, we need your permission to remove your son's legs below the knees. Um, if we don't do this, he will die. And there's a good chance that he could die on the operating table because he's not very uh, strong. So she made the, um, the executive decision and said, okay. And, um, and that's, that's how that happened. Um, as well as with the legs and my hand, I lost the vision in my um, right eye. And I suffered three strokes um, during that whole process. So when I woke up, it was it was interesting um, having to try and figure things out again and, and what works and what doesn't. Um, I would have to say, though, the, the most upsetting thing for me was losing my five fingers because I played guitar, I played drums, and, you know, that's... But in all honesty, um, you know, you you adapt and you move on. I'm like, I wouldn't have been able, even if I would have kept my fingers, I wouldn't have been able to use them for anything. So, you know, you just have to dig down deep and um, pull yourself through it. Um, I'd like to mention that way though. Yeah. But I'd like to mention when Dean and I had our hands, our fingers taking, taken probably the same week, eh, Dean. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say that, Having Dean there, he's my brother. We're soul brothers and sisters now because had totally closed up. The doctor was trying to, um, I got through all this trauma. Hey, yay. They took my fingers and uh, I became sick. I started having nightmares. I wasn't sleeping. I got depression. And I am going to thank Dean because he is the guy that got me through that. Um, by sharing, he just came up to me and went, this is what happened. It was the worst pain of my life. Uh, it was the most traumatic thing I've experienced. And I said, me too. And just that, it made a huge, huge difference. Having him with me every step of the way, so to speak, <laughs> uh, made a huge, huge, <laughs> huge difference in my, in my personal recovery. Uh, like we, we, we did form a gang. We could make each other laugh at the sickest stuff. And uh, the trauma of the hand removal, the fingers, it was huge. Uh, I, I had no idea it would affect me the way it did. And uh, 
I mean, anyone really I think that's who, so thankful. Right. I mean, anyone really who's faced with a choice to have a limb amputated is traumatic because you have to make those decisions and you have to reconcile that when you wake up from the surgery, that part of you is gone. And I often talk about um, grieving the loss of a limb is like grieving the loss of a loved one, right? It is a part of you, physically a part of you. So when you look down and your legs aren't there or you look down and your hands aren't there or your fingers aren't there, we're told of what to see visually, what normal looks like. And so we have that struggle of now I don't have this. I don't think a lot of us, and I could be wrong in this, but I think a lot of us are not even um, looking at it from I'm disabled now or I have a disability now. It's more the visual of I don't look normal anymore. Right. In that in that mind of this isn't this isn't normal <laughs> that I know personally for myself, that was one of my struggle being a young guy uh, becoming an amputee and looking down at myself the way I did after going through sepsis. At 25, I'm supposed to worry about what I look like. Is my am I in shape? Am I do I have the the vanity muscles that I need to attract girls? Do I so all of that is going, you know, I'm supposed to have good hair. I'm supposed to have, you know, this awesome body. And then you look at yourself and you're like, what happened? Right. I, you know, the pull, the rug was pulled from under me and now I'm faced with this and I'm not supposed to look like this. Right. Well, and so we, we deal with a lot of that. I think. <laughs> What's that? What? Chicks dig scars. <laughs> they, and I learned that later on. <laughs> but, it, but in that initial bit, it's like, what, you know, there's all of those things. So I understand where Christina's coming from. I could imagine, Dean, when you just open your eyes and go, where are my legs? Or for some reason, you seem to know in the back of your mind that they're gone. So what did you, when you looked down there? I couldn't look. <clears throat> I couldn't move. Okay. I had so much uh, muscle atrophy that I, I couldn't move. I had lost uh, a pile of weight, and when you're in a coma for that long, it's not like the movies where someone's in a coma and they get up and next thing you know they're doing a Steven Seagal fight scene. Like you're like, what? That that can't happen, you know? And it doesn't. So I'm looking up at the mirrors in the in the in the um, ER room, and I'm looking down, and I've got blankets all over my legs and ice packs and stuff, and I can't talk because I've got a tracheotomy. So you're, it's like being trapped in a cage. You, you, you want to scream, but th there's nothing you can do. So you just got to just sit back and um, like, like when the doctor says, just relax and, and uh, this will just, you know, and basically you have to wrap your head around, well, I, I'm going to have to trust in these people for them to do what they have to do. And then I'll figure it out from there. So for me, that, that's really the way um, – I had to approach it and look at it. But I will add this, guys. Um, I served a lot of time in the military, and I've been all over Canada, overseas, uh, a good part of the world I've seen. And I knew at your age, at 20, if you're saying you're 25, at 25 years old, I knew that at any time something nasty like that could happen. So I, I would have to say, honestly, that helped me through what happened to me because. Uh, it had been a scenario that had gone through my mind many, many times. If I stepped on an IAD or if I had lost a part of my body because of being in the military, um, that, that was a bonus for me. 
And that's kind of what pulled me through the initial part of it. Once I get released out of the hospital, then the rest of the reality kicks in, right? So you got to have a good mindset about it. And really, you can't go back. You can't go back in time and change it. You can't fix it. What if I would have known that um, I was going to tear my esophagus and go septic? And that's really what happened for me. I My esophagus tore and then stomach acid mixed with my blood, and, and I got sick that way. Um, very similar to the way Christine went, but a little dog nip. Either way, you got to um, realize that you're not as invincible as you think you are. And when it happens, you just, you got to pull through it and go back. And I, I am also a single parent. I have a, my daughter's in her second year of Ottawa U University and my son has started grade 11. So, and where I live is redneck country. So we have trails in my back 40 for snowmobiling and four wheeling. Um, we have areas where we can target shoot, um, apple trees, we do maple syrup. Um, so I still do all the same things that I do, but it takes me longer to do them. And Right. No, I actually wanted to go into that. And there's you made a few, a few points that I'd like to go back into afterwards. But I do want to touch on that, the after effects of sepsis, because I think that's important to under, for our listeners to understand that after you've gone through your bout in the hospital with sepsis, it doesn't end there. Sepsis no, is one of those lifelong, really, there's after effects of it, not just the amputation physically of now you're living with an amputation or limb loss. There are other health issues that come along with it. Christine touched on the emotional and the health, mental health issues that while you're in hospital, but I'm sure as many experience, that goes on for a much longer than while you're there, right? As you're saying, when when you're working in your field or or doing your hunting and, and your activities, there are those things that you have to adapt to and make changes. So what can you share with our listeners about how your daily lives and, and what are the effects of, or side effects of sepsis that added more things to you, to your worries about daily living, not just the physical challenges that you have with being an amputee, but also are you now diabetic or do you have other health issues that you can share with, with, with our listeners? Well, um, they completely, they removed my spleen. Now, most people don't think of it as, as much, but that is a huge filter in your body. That um, helps you from getting colds, flus, any, any little bug that doesn't bother any other person with me with no spleen. I gotta, that's something that I always have in the back of my mind. If, if say, my buddy says, come on over, we're going to have a, a jam session at my place. Uh, is anybody at your house got a cold? Is anybody sick? You know, that, that's a concern for me. Um, I take more vitamins. Um, so the spleen issue is, is always worrying about getting sick. Not that I'm worrying about it, but I take precautions to make sure. And I've been fortunate. Well, um, they completely, they removed my spleen. Now, most people don't think of it as, as much, but that is a huge filter in your body. That helps you from getting colds, flus, any any little bug that doesn't bother any other person with me with no spleen. I got to, that's something that I always have in the back of my mind. If, if say my buddy says, come on over, we're going to have a, a jam session at my place. Uh, is anybody at your house got a cold? Is anybody sick? You know, that, that's a concern for me. Um, I take more vitamins. Um, so the spleen issue is, is always worrying about getting sick. Not that I'm worrying about it, but I take precautions to make sure. 
and I've been fortunate. Um, the other side with, with um, septic poisoning, um, and they don't tell you about it in the hospital. There's no prep. Uh, for me, it's memory loss. Um, I don't, if I set my keys down somewhere, boom, I'm done. For short-term memory stuff. Long-term memory stuff, I, I remember it. But when you're that sick, you're basically melting. And they would change the ice packs on me in the hospital every 45 minutes to keep me from like super fever. And, and that affects your brain. That's what burned out my optic nerve for my, my right eye. It still tracks like my left eye. And you wouldn't know that I'm blind in that eye if you were to look at me. But I don't see nothing. It's black. And it just burned out the optical nerve. Um, now, I remember asking the doctor, couldn't he just fix it like an extension cord? And they're like, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so that's um, part of the concern for me. Um, also, my fingertips, and I know Christine's the same, but I can't, there's only one fingertip that I can feel. All the rest of my fingertips are, my fingers are all shorter because it, everything shrunk, like the skin around it. Um, so I don't have all the control of my hand, but like picking up a, a dime or a pin or something small, I can't feel it. Like, so, you know, I, I have to keep that in the back of my mind. But for the rest of it, it a lot of it, I'm, even though it's been seven years, I'm still figuring stuff out as I go. Like, because there's no book. Like when they, when I, that was something that blew my mind and it didn't blow my mind right away. It took time. When I got out of the hospital, they're, they're just like, okay, well, if you need anything, call us. Um, everything's cool. Um, you're, you're doing well. Uh, but I had yeah, no but, idea yeah. what CME was. I had no clue. I didn't know about the night sweats, uh, the phantom pain. I didn't have a clue about any of that stuff. For, so for the longest time, I thought I was going nuts. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and it felt like someone took a hammer and smashed my big toe. But as soon as it happened, it's gone. But it's enough to make you sit up straight in bed going, what the? And, maybe and I remember seeing Christine, some of the posts that she was making, and, and oh, yeah, they're talking about all these things. Um, I think a handbook should be available to someone to, to prove to working one with. something like this as serious as it happens so that you have a better understanding of what to expect and you can mentally prepare for it rather than thinking that, oh, I better go see the doctor and get another drug, or maybe there's another drug I can try to help you get through it. And, and I don't take any of the um, antitriptylines, Lyricas, pregabalins. Uh, I don't take any of that stuff. Uh, I do take some uh, pain relief stuff once in a while, but uh, for the most part, I just muscle through it, mind over matter. But that, that applies to me. It doesn't apply to everybody. Everybody's different. Correct, yeah. And even yourself, some of the symptoms that you have aren't the symptoms that Christine have or what I have. Right. It's, it's just, it is what it is, right? And yeah, you got to get your mindset into the into the groove that you're better than this, and try not to let yourself get depressed. <laughs> I know it's hard, but yeah, but half the problem, group. like Dean said, is that we are discharged with zero information on what happened to us, let alone what's going to happen to us. I lost almost all my hair and the doctors were trying to tell me I was imagining it until a nurse went, come and take a look at her room. My room, my neighbors, my part, like their beds, we were all covered in my hair and they were trying not to make that connection. But post sepsis syndrome, that's one of the, that's one of the first signs um, other than the fogginess, but you're not even aware that that, that that can happen. We've had doctors tell 
family members of uh, survivors that there's nothing wrong with your wife or your husband. They're just needing a little bit more attention, maybe. The doctors don't know about post-sepsis recovery. It's ridiculous. You get a, a, a brain injury, you get more attention than if you have post, if you had septic shock. Anybody with septic shock, regardless of what the cause, these after effects, and they are seeing that right now with COVID. They're calling it long COVID. Fact is they're in septic shock. Uh, the big risk for them right now is that they're reinfecting just like sepsis survivors. But we're not told any of that. So I have a, a sepsis support group that my friend founded and that her and I administrate together. And when people find us, they think they're losing their mind because they have not been given any information about recovery. And all of the research so far that I've, I've been able to find out because I'm working with Sepsis Canada, it stops at three months post sepsis. That's where they stop all, all research about a disease when they need to start it at three months because post sepsis syndrome starts at four to six months post. So they're not following any of that. Just looking back in, in what I know about my condition, because I, same as Dean, is that I just took it upon what goes next, what moves forward next, how do I get past this point, right? And so then you go back into your lifestyle. And for me, it was, again, as a young person, I went back to university and I moved on with my career and moved on. And then the daily struggles of memory loss to, to Dean's point earlier, Sometimes I joke that, oh, I'm having a senior moment because no one explained to you that you'll have memory loss post-sepsis. Yeah. So again, it's to your point, guys, about not having enough research and not having enough um, information for the patient or the survivors uh, going out to the world of what the lifelong term effects of sepsis is, I think is important for us to have um, put together as a guide and almost like as a as a, these are the things to kind of watch out for for yourself. People often talk about mental health issues and emotions about having gone through something difficult. And that goes with every disease, cancer, heart disease, anything you can think of. Everybody goes through those because it's a human behavior. But when there's also something that's attached more physically and more that affects us because of something we've gone through, I think there has to be documentation on that. Just I think so. Not everybody would, would probably, some people that are going through this might not want to know and that's fine too but i think for the vast majority of people that go through it they would like to read a little um cole's book note of of things and i would welcome if someone uh, like a, a research group called me and said what are the few a few of the symptoms that you could you recall or issues that you're having now that you didn't have before and put them down in the notes so at least there's some type of handbook they can give you when you roll out of the hospital so you can kind of research it yourself. And it might sound, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is. Uh, I have a brain injury, <laughs> but um, that's, that's exactly it. It helps you um, personally prepare for it. Um, so you can see what's happening and then correct it. I mean, I, I believe that way. Um, right. And certainly there's a whole lot of people you can reach out to. And go, well, is this happening to you? Is it affected your appetite? How come you're not, ha you're never hungry. Uh, you don't sleep well. 
you sleep four hours, you're up an hour. You sleep another two hours, you're up. These are all things that I deal with, and I point it towards, you know, what happened to me. And it's not like I'm waking up from nightmares. It's just I don't sleep well. And to, to compensate that, there's nothing wrong with an afternoon power nap for, for an hour. They just charge your batteries a, a little bit, and boom, you're out the door again. And I, and that, I do that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's... I agree, I though. Found that, there should be yeah. some type of book or, or something or notes or, or something available to those that, that really want it or available to our partners if we're married so that they can read this and go, oh, okay, yeah. And that helps us if it helps them understand it. Yes. Go ahead, Christine. I've put together a draft note. I'm going to send it to you guys just so you can see. But I have found that people, okay, we've all had amputations. Um, Aristotle, I understand uh, you had your amputations at post-sepsis because you suffered os- osteomyelitis? Yes. And then in the next 15 years, I have dealt with various infections, bone infections, skin, everything, right? That led up to being a bilateral amputee 15 years later, a double baloney amputee because I had also given up on the struggles in the last 15 years of dealing with the post-sepsis things. And again, to your point now, in hindsight, I look at it as these are just the things I go through aging. My joints hurt, my body hurts, I develop insomnia because I traveled the world and I don't have a regular sleeping pattern, I'm overweight because I'm not active, Um, I have heart disease because I'm fat, all of those things you kind of equate to something else other than what happened to you 15 years ago. And I yes. think there's data that's missing to support that all of these health issues have stemmed from that. And we should be able to connect the cost of that taking care of this kid 15 years ago to what happened throughout his whole life. Because you are going to be in the medical system, not just in those year and a half that you're in hospital recovering from sepsis, but for the rest of your life. I agree. <clears throat> like yeah. um, organ failure. I had liver, kidney, uh, all that, dialysis. I mean, I was done. They did not expect me to live. Um, me neither. 5% again, chance. Yeah. Like, it, it's crazy. Um, the doctors had told one of my friends, oh, he's just too stupid to die or he's too t- tough to die. It just wasn't your time. You know, that's it just wasn't your time, man. You, you had no. other stuff to do and carry on. Like, um. I wouldn't say I'm as, I'm pretty active. I mean, I do like my sleep, uh, but I'm very active and uh, I don't go to the camp and do as much redneck stuff as I used to, but I still do. And my cutting season's coming up and I'm telling my partner, well, it's almost time for me to grow a beard there. It's getting close to hunting season. Uh, <laughs> I work on my kids' cars and um, I'm strong for them, but I will on my behalf, I will say something that um, works for me. I wanted to get off any types of meds that I was on while I was in the hospital before I got home. And, you know, Lyrica-based drugs, I think if you're going to continue to take those after you get out of the hospital for nerve pain, there's a bag for, full of tricks that come along with that as well. The long-term effects of being on Lyrica, Pregabalum, or any of those base drugs are very, very nasty. The bloating, um, 
the insomnia, the, I mean, and when you go off of those drugs, they're more addictive than the opioids they give you for the pain. So if anybody's listening, like they're, if you need these drugs to get through what's going on right now, by all means, but do yourself a favor and try and wean yourself off those drugs. Lyrica is basically for, from my understanding of it, is more for uh, diabetics, for the for the, the tingling and the and the the ugliness of that comes with being a diabetic. Neuropathy. So, and um, those drugs, Lyrica, pregabalin, antitriptyline, scare me. Like I felt horrible on them. I felt horrible getting off of them, but I feel so much better not having to rely on them. Like pain is pain. Take a Tylenol number one or um, when you bang yourself or hurt yourself. But to be on those types of drugs, I, I find it, for me, it's, it's no good. It makes me worse. The, the, it makes me depressed. It makes me lethargic. It, it takes away my appetite. It, when I got off of them, all of those things started to come back to me. I could taste food again. Um, I, that's that's right. me, every, though. Every, I mean, everyone's, no, as I was going to say, everyone has a unique way the chemicals in our body reacts to them in some unique way that may not work you know to your point you know those are the side effects that you're you're getting i'm the same way in that my experiences with different medical drugs and interventions were also adding those things i was also institutionalized because i was in a hospital for far too long the first time i remember the first time i got in a car i threw up in the car because i've never I haven't been in a car in over two years, in almost two years. And moving things in front of you, your brain couldn't fathom that speed. Right. Yeah. And me too. I threw up in the, I got car sick in the that. car. Right. And so just those are the things that they don't prepare you for. But yeah, I've only known how to live in a hospital where a nurse comes in and out of my room to feed me, to give me medication, to see if I'm okay. Integrating at home without any pre warning of, Here's what it's like to live home. You're going to have to get up, wash yourself, feed yourself, you know, turn the TV on to entertain yourself is all, all of a sudden felt like it's new to me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm right. Where I was going with that is you see, you were still suffering the effects of post sepsis syndrome 10 years later. And yeah. it doesn't go away. And people expect that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to have all the same energy that I had before I got sick. And because nobody tells them otherwise. Also, did you know that most people who survive don't live to see the first anniversary? Right. So there's, there's I've looked up some. Right. I've seen some statistics. You know? But before we get into the st statistics, um, I want to make sure that you've mentioned, Christine, about the group that you're um, that you're administrating with a friend of yours because I think it's very important for to have a community to share in the experience like the, the three of us are doing now and there's nothing like hearing from your peers to understand what you're going through so can you tell us more about this peer group that uh, you started and or administer with your friend my my friend Diane she started it she's from Halifax uh, because she too was discharged from hospital um, she's a PSW. Her best friend is a nurse, and they didn't know much about sepsis or the after effects. So they started a little um, site to provide information to survivors. But then we realized that people needed a place to to chat and ask questions. 
all of the post-sepsis support groups are run out of the States or the UK. So this is the only one run out of Canada. And we're not very big, but when you write a question, you will get some answers and we will research it because we've got nurses. And I work with the Canadian Sepsis Foundation, which we're calling pretty much Sepsis Canada now. So I'm hitting them up with questions also from patients who are asking. But we have listed out stuff uh, between all of these support groups that none of us were aware that were normal post-sepsis syndrome. Um, like I said, Dean has helped me so much. He'd call me and go, I'm waking up in the night sweating my brains out. And I'm telling you, these calls and these little bits of information kept me sane because I honestly thought I was losing my mind. I'm in the middle of a sentence and I lose what I'm talking about. You know, you're yeah. right in the middle, you're passionate. And then, uh, and then you don't even know what you're talking about anymore. And you, it, it's horrifying because people and, look at you. And you're always learning. <clears throat> yes. Well, there's always more to learn about the, the sepsis stuff, but the, uh, the learning with the little, uh, all of these um, side effects that people have been suffering for years. And honestly, most of us that have had the amputations earlier in the game don't seem to have like the joint. Do you have joint pain, Dean? Uh, Absolutely. In my lower back, in my shoulders. Oh, you're getting um, I use the CBD cream. It comes like in a deodorant stick, the CBD yeah. cream. And it, and you just I rub that on my wrists and, and it makes a big difference. And something else that I just recently um, figured out, Christine. You know those nylon socks that they gave us? Yeah, the shrinkers. You pull them over your your, your legs, your stumps. Yeah, the nylon socks. Well, um, my legs tingle and feel like the skin is on fire all the time. And I I use those nylon socks. I might only need them for an hour and then I take them off. Something I just figured out is even better than that. You know those. Furry uh, polar fleece blankets. Yeah. Like a fleece blanket. Um, if you take and wrap the blankets around your stumps, it's it's the best thing. I can fall asleep like that now. So I do that all the time. And I could never get away from the tingling. But the polar – and I figured it out just by accident. Heather threw it on me one day on my legs because it was hot this summer. And I'm lying there on the bed, and I'm just dying because it's hot. And she – threw those on my legs and I'm right almost instantly it took the tingling away. So I'm trying to get a set made like the, like the nylon ones that we have. Yeah. My mother is trying to sew a pair where I can like hook them up like suspenders and yeah. put them on my stumps just to fall asleep. I can't toss them and turn and they fall off, but that is something that, that is uh, awesome for me falling asleep at night now. It, it's something as crazy as polar fleece. Like, who would have thunk? <laughs> really? Yeah, I was hey. going to say, amputee life hack. There you go. To, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, drugs. Without any lyrica-based drugs. Like, I will be firm on that. I don't, because right. I like to say I, I it with lyrica. Yeah. I stayed on the drugs longer uh, than Dean did, because I'm, honestly, I was afraid. But um, when I got home, a few months after I got home, I started realizing that how badly they were affecting me mental health wise um, so I eased off it took me almost six months to get off the, the dosage that I was on but I'm telling you after the first month of being off it's like the lights in my brain lit up again and yeah. uh, I'll take some stuff if I'm having really bad like this weather we've been having recently with that hurricane has caused some pretty electrifying 
business going on in my hands and le- in my hands and feet, which I don't have. So right. you know how bad it is. So, um, I use something called Nabilone for the very bad days, but I'm pretty much uh, into natural um, yes. remedies, which I find to We've be. We've already talked about that. Hey, Nabilone? Nabilone yeah. again. Can't wait to get Nabilone. on the Nabilone again. <laughs> oh, wow. You guys, are, you guys must have been a hoot in a hospital. <laughs> I um, tell you, yeah. they still miss us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, before we get going, where can they find you guys' work? Dean, I know you still, you mentioned you played in a band. And Christina, I'd like for you, of course, to talk about uh, Sepsis Canada and uh, Foundation. So, Dean, we'll start with you. Where can they find you if they want to book your band or if they want to? The Sofa Kings have been around for almost 20 years now. And Sled Naked or Electricity uh, or the, the Blue Rock Gardeners. Um, if the COVID wouldn't have happened this year, we were full ready to enter that CBC music contest where you have to have video, audio, um, recording pictures and video of the recording studio of playing. We were ready to rock on that. And in around the Eastern Ontario area, the Sofa Kings are always happy to play odd man out. Uh, another bunch of guys that I play drums with. Um, and of course, our own original deal. We're, we're we're chomping at the bit to do a CD release party because, like I say, we have over seventy original songs recorded. Roy Nickel, who is the drummer for April Wine, is uh, looking at all of our stuff. And uh, when Roy gets a hold of um, our stuff, he's going to do a final uh, mix, and we're ready to rock. So. In the meantime, I would hope that people would uh, be anxious and, and wait for it, but uh, we'll have something out very soon. Sounds good. I, mean, Sounds it's, good. I love doing it. Even if you guys wanted to come here and record, film us in the basement while we're doing our magic, it's 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 awesome. We may have to do that. And everybody in the band, um, I'm the baby. At 51 years old, I'm the baby of the band. Alex, the bass player, he's the uh, the patriarch, and everybody's played in bands their whole life but always doing cover songs. So with, with, with this project, it's all original, and it's the most fun I've ever had in my life playing music. And I'm actually a better musician, having losing my legs and um, my fingers. I, I'm, I was never into drum rolls or spinning drumsticks around. I never did that kind of stuff. I was always like a metronome. Um, right. And my legs, well, I have another set of legs that the engineers built for me that are stripped down, toes turned down, they're not great for walking in, but on the drum set, they work. So you wouldn't, by listening to any of our recordings, you wouldn't know that right. I'm the guy that's playing drums on there. Wow. You wouldn't. Yeah, no, I think I'll, so. I'm going to have to check out those bands. And Christine, could you share with us the Canada Sepsis? or It's called the Canadian Sepsis Foundation or Sepsis Canada. You should be able to find it in a, in a Facebook search. Uh, you'll get the foundation page and probably the support group page. In Facebook, we have a presence for the foundation itself, which provides any new information that's coming about. Uh, we try to get news stories or stuff that's, that comes out there, any research that's happening in Canada. And then we have something called the Sepsis Canada Support Group. And that is for survivors and or family members. Um, we're getting more people that are joining while they have a member in the hospital, which is fantastic because then the family members are going in armed with information. So 
this is what we're trying to do. I also have, I started all of this, I opened a public support group, but it was just called Christine Caron Smiles. And it was just to give people sepsis support information before I was able to join in all these other groups. So I try to provide information on all those pages. And those are places that you can send a message and I will get back to you. And that's all on Facebook, group. correct? Yes. And the, uh, the foundation does have a web presence. Okay. What I'll do is I'll put all of those links on my website so uh, people could find them, of course. I think it's really important to be aware of sepsis as it has many faces and can stem from almost anything. It can be disguised as a flu or starts as a sore throat that we can easily dismiss as such until we end up in emergency when it sometimes is too late. It's estimated 75,000 cases of sepsis occur in Canada each year, likely causing 18,000 deaths. Sepsis survivors live with lifelong side effects aside from living with limb loss and issues associated with it as a result. Sepsis survivors often develop further cardiovascular issues, mental health issues, and other physical issues. And all of this can be prevented. I want to thank Christine Karen and Dean LaPonzi for joining me today. I'll post the links and their social media on my website, www.aristotledomingo.com. Thank you for tuning in today. If you have any questions or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Amputeer Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been The Amputeer Show Podcast.